My wife, Maureen, asked me the other day if I liked this show that I'd binge-watched on Netflix called Mr. Harrigan's Phone. And I told her I liked it because Donald Sutherland was really good in it, and it had that classic Stephen King movie feel to it. But it felt to me like it left way too much hanging. And Maureen said something along the lines of that she likes it when a show doesn't have everything tied up in, her words, a neat little bow. And I said, I like the neat little bow. Oddly enough, the episodes of this podcast, A Bigger Story, are probably not going to be tied up in a neat little bow because the story is always bigger. There's always going to be something else, something new to discover. And that's why it's called A Bigger Story. Approximately 20 minutes every day, maybe while you're getting ready for work or commuting to or from work, if you still commute, or just walking down the stairs, or while you're working out, I hope the things we talk about will in some way expand your spirit, your soul, how you're feeling on a given day. So every day, five days a week, just me, no guests, just you and me sharing some thoughts, ideas, discoveries from my own poking around in the bigger story. And once we get a little traction, we'll devote a big part of the podcast to your questions. I'll tell you how to send them at the end of the podcast. And then my best attempts at some answers. So with that said, loved ones, I'm Bruce, and this is the very first episode of A Bigger Story. When you were a kid, did you ever play a game called Telephone? Maybe it was at a party just for fun, or maybe it was at school because a teacher wanted to teach you and your classmates how easy it is for words or ideas to get lost in translation. My favorite character from one of my favorite movies, Anigo Montoya, played by Mandy Patinkin in The Princess Bride, he said somewhat famously to another character, the bumbling villain, Vizzini, who kept yelling, inconceivable. And Anigo Montoya would look at him and say, I don't think that word means what you think it means. There's a reason that many religious traditions require their ministers or rabbis or imams or priests to learn the origin languages of their traditions. And believe me, ancient forms of Greek and Hebrew and Latin are not easy to learn, at least not for me. But it was thought to be important, still is thought to be important, because it can really skew our understandings of religious or spiritual concepts when the words used to describe those concepts, those ideas, get lost in translation. For example, you've probably heard the Latin phrase, Semper Fi. It's the Marine Corps motto. It's actually an abbreviated Latin phrase when the Marine Corps say it. The full phrase is Semper Fidelis. The Marine Corps adopted that motto in, 19, in 1883, and they weren't the first to adopt it. The village of Abbeville, France, adopted it all the way back in 1369, about 300 years later, in 1658, the then Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, Pope Alexander, bestowed it as the motto on the city of Lviv in Ukraine. And somewhere along the line, the city of White Plains, New York, just outside of New York City, made it its motto too. Semper Fidelis. Semper meaning always, and Fidelis meaning faithful, as in loyal. Always faithful always loyal, 
always loyal in the sense of loyalty to a group, to one's comrades, to a set of values or principles. So maybe already you're wondering, why are we starting here? Because one of the challenges to developing a useful spiritual life, especially for those of us who have some form of Christianity in our backgrounds, is that often, and probably very often, words, sometimes whole ideas and concepts get lost in translation. So the key sacred writings in the Christian tradition are the Hebrew scriptures, what Christians call the Old Testament. And at some point we'll do an episode on why Hebrew scriptures is much better than Old Testament. And then there's the New Testament. Hebrew is the original language of the Hebrew scriptures. (laughs) We call that a blinding flash of the obvious. The original language of the New Testament is an ancient form of Greek called Koine Greek, sometimes called Alexandrian Greek, because it emerged sometime around the time of Alexander the Great. So let's do a little of this lost in translation work. Karen Armstrong is an author in the field of the history of religions. In her book, The Case for God, Karen Armstrong talks about the English word belief, as in, what do you believe? It's one of the defining questions for religion, right? What do you or I or we believe? What do they believe? They meaning some group, some Christian denomination, or some other religious tradition. Belief. I think it means to most 21st century people something along the lines of an agreement with a certain fact or a set of facts or truths. Go to a church's website, and I'll bet you'll find a tab that says what we believe. And it will include a list of truths, propositions, doctrine. Why? Because most, not all, but most Christians are creedal, which is to say they take as foundational a creed, like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or a more obscure creed called the Athanasian Creed. They're called creeds because they begin with the words I or we believe. In Latin, credo, creed. So believe is a really good example of a word that gets lost in translation. Karen Armstrong in her book, The Case for God, writes, in the Gospels, we continually hear Jesus berating his disciples for their lack of faith. Those who beg him for healing are required to have faith before Jesus can work a miracle. And some of the disciples pray, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And Karen Armstrong continues, we do not find this preoccupation with belief in other major traditions. Why did Jesus set such store by it? And then she answers her own question. She says, the simple answer is that he didn't. Something got lost in translation. And Karen Armstrong lets us in on the secret. When we see the word belief or believe in the New Testament, the original old Koine, Alexandrian, Greek of those passages uses some form of the Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. Get the word epistle or epistemology from it. And it turns out that the ancient Greek word pistis means, are you ready? Trust, loyalty, engagement, commitment. So now, fast forward to 382 AD. The Pope in 382, Damasus, 
commissioned a priest and scholar named Jerome, who eventually became St. Jerome, to translate the Bible into Latin. It had been done before, but Damasus wasn't satisfied, so he appointed Jerome, and Jerome set out to develop a Latin translation of the Hebrew scriptures and a Latin translation of a better Latin translation of the New Testament. So while he is doing this work, Jerome looks at this Greek word pistis, which means loyalty, engagement, commitment. It's a noun, and Jerome has a Latin noun handy for the Greek word pistis, and that Latin noun is fides, F-I-D-E-S. And the adjective form of fides is drumroll. I don't have a drumroll sound effect yet, so just do one in your head. The adjective form of fides is fidelis, as in semper fidelis. And fidelis, which we've already established, means faithful, loyal, committed. And that's what a Marine means, right? I'm not a Marine. I know some Marines. My aunt is a retired Marine colonel. I once called her a former Marine colonel, and that did not go over well at all. I'm pretty sure that what a Marine means when a Marine cries Semper Fi, they're saying always faithful, always loyal, always committed to the cause, to the mission, to their comrades, to the values of the Marine Corps. I'm equally sure that they're not saying always believing. It doesn't have quite the same effect or the same meaning. And that's where St. Jerome runs into this problem. Fides, the noun, and fidelis, the adjective, have no verbal form in Latin. Remember, he's trying to faithfully translate the Bible from, in the case of the New Testament, from Greek to Latin, and Latin has no perfectly correlative verb for the Greek pistis, loyal. And the best he can come up with in Latin is credo. And the root of credo in Latin is cordo, C-O-R-D-O, cordo, which means I give my heart. So Jerome goes with credo, roughly meaning I give my heart to this. And giving our heart to something or someone is pretty close to saying I'm loyal to you, right? I'm committed to you. I have faith in you. So it would be very close to on point when we read or hear one of Jesus' disciples saying to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, to hear it as, Lord, I give my heart to you. Help the part of me that doesn't give my heart to you. But history moves forward, as it does, and that move from the Greek, pistis, to the Latin, credo, loyalty, to I give my heart to, begins to get lost in translation. In 1611, in merry old England, along comes the English-language King James version of the Bible, and this is like 12 centuries after Jerome and the sense of pistis and fidelis, fidelity and credo, gets a little fuzzy, and the scholars working on the King James version settle on the English word believe, because by the 16th century, credo has come to mean in English creed, belief. Now, according to Karen Armstrong, that's not really so bad. Why? Because in 1611, the English of that time is Middle English, and the words believe and belief were borrowed from Middle German, and the 
Middle German word beliebt, B-E-L-I-E-B-T, which means beloved. So in 1611, you could read that passage where the disciples say to Jesus in the English of the King James Bible, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief as Lord. I love, help my unlove. And that's pretty good because commitment and engagement and loyalty are essential ingredients of authentic love. But here's where finally the lost in translation part really comes into play. Believe to most people in the 21st century English-speaking world, and for a long time now before that, doesn't mean anything close to beloved anymore. The Enlightenment came along, the age of reason, and the meaning of the words belief and believe shifted to mean, for the most part, intellectual belief, assent to a set of propositions or truths for which there is evidence, proof, a set of facts. And this is the lost in translation problem. And why is this even remotely important for us? Because more and more people all the time are hitting the eject button on organized religion. You may be one of them. One of the reasons, the big reasons, is that so many of us are looking for a spiritual framework for life that inspires us, that gives us hope, that heals division, heals hurts, that results in more love, more compassion, and more healing, loving, compassionate action in the world. And a lot of people, and again, you may be one of them, or maybe it's someone you love, care about. A lot of people look at organized Christianity and see Christians, theologians, leaders of Christian denominations, pastors, lay people, arguing over beliefs, concepts, propositions that they believe are facts. And I mean fiercely arguing. And these propositional beliefs are used as tests to determine if someone else's beliefs are legitimate. And if not, to either convince them or exclude them, to cancel that person from their group, their tribe. I'm sure you've seen it happen. So all that stuff we read and learn about Jesus in the Christian scriptures, radical forgiveness, radical reconciliation, a radical form of love that's self-sacrificing, self-surrendering, that feeds the hungry, heals the sick, lifts up the lowly, brings justice to those who are treated unjustly. What if when we said we believe in that or have faith in that, that what we're actually saying is that we are deeply, utterly loyal to that way of life taught and modeled by Jesus, committed to that way of life, engaged and aligned with that way of life. Jesus did say, after all, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So maybe Believing in Jesus isn't about our intellectual agreement with a set of facts or doctrines about Jesus, but instead, believing in Jesus is beloving Jesus, a love that's demonstrated by being loyal to Jesus, committed to Jesus, faithful to Jesus, in love with the way of life, the way of love that Jesus taught and modeled. Semper Fidelis. 
always faithful to that way, always loyal to that way, the way of Jesus, always engaged in that way. And along comes Anigo Montoya from The Princess Bride saying to us, yes, that's what I think that word means. You got it. Now, prepare to live. One more important thing before we go. There's a saying that none of us is as smart as all of us. I share that to tell you that in each episode of A Better Story, I want to include your questions and I want to hear your suggestions for future episode topics. The ways you can do that are in the show notes. You can email me at bruce at brucecold.tv. Ideally, if you don't mind, uh, take your iPhone or your Droid and use uh, the voice memo, the voice recording feature on your phone and start with your name and where you're from. Like, I'm Bruce, I'm from Chicago. And then just ask your question. Or if you want to stay anonymous, uh, don't include your name and where you're from, but still record your question. Or if you want to stay totally anonymous, don't do any of that. Just uh, type up your question or suggestion in an email and send it to me and we'll keep you anonymous so no one finds out who you are. Remember, we're here every day. Season one will go for 10 weeks, then we'll take a week or two off and then pick right back up with season two. And by the way, A Bigger Story is entirely listener-supported. If you'd like to help support this work and the community that I believe we'll build together, you'll find a link to do that in the show notes too. Thanks for listening. Stay in touch. Remember, you are loved. And since this first episode is dropping on a Friday, I'll talk to you again on Monday.